Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. This week, we welcome Allie Lynn, who works as a copywriter for mental health professionals. Welcome, everyone, to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing a healthcare professional each episode, asking questions that you want the answers to, and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female, and my pronouns are she, hers. And a fashion aesthetic I'm always trying to achieve is celebrity caught by paparazzi coming out of a coffee shop. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> oh, fine. I, I apologize. Um, <laughs> and I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I am a straight, cis, white lady, and my pronouns are she, her. And I have recently deleted all of my clickable apps except for IMDb. So most of my sunken time goes to reading fun facts about movie and TV productions. Most Ooh. recently, Gilligan's Island. Wow. What what did you learn from, like, what's the most interesting fact about Gilligan's Island? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm ready. Uh, the actress that played Mrs. Howell did not like her ankles and she had in her contract that she would always have to be wearing pants <laughs> that went all mm. the way to her shoes. Interesting. Also, there were two actresses that played Ginger. Cool. And there were only three seasons. Doesn't it feel like Whoa, that show yeah. had like 12 seasons just because there's such a cult behind it? Yeah. Very interesting. Also, another fact, Sherwood <laughs> Schwartz wrote that intro in like two hours the night before the theme song was due. And it's one of the most famous intros that's ever been written for a television show, which wow. is actually pertinent to our guest today <laughs> <laughs> um <sighs> yeah so I like wearing sweatpants but like fancy sweatpants um <laughs> and that's what I whenever you see those pictures of celebrities they always just look so comfortable but also like a little bit fancy yeah. and that's that's what I'm talking about you know like a little bit oversized but still looking chic you know sweatpants that just make you feel like you're clothed in clouds uh, yeah, I like to call those fashion forward sweatpants. Yeah, I'm wearing some they right might, now. They might have like a zipper or they may be joggers. The ones I'm wearing are joggers. That's wonderful. And they have we pockets, should... which is helpful. Oh my gosh. What what are they definitely women's clothes? They're they definitely women's women? clothes. Okay. Um yeah. They're <laughs> they're uh, me undies, which I am addicted to those. Right. Um <laughs> the actual underpants. And they yeah. have a fantastic uh lounge leisure wear too yeah. uh yeah <laughs> lovely every every pair of fashion forward sweatpants I've had I've just w worn into an oblivion during COVID shockingly and um they essentially disintegrate and then <laughs> and then I have to make the decision to just like I have to actually like physically rip them and destroy them because I'll just Aww. keep wearing them yeah even though they're not technically pants anymore 
Yeah. I mean, I still have sweatpants from high school. Damn. Yeah. They're not great. Mm. <laughs> are they, do they still, are they still used in a sweatpant capacity? No. No. Yeah. They're, they're uh, sentimental sweatpants in a box underneath my <laughs> bed. I mean, a funny thing, I was listening to another episode, maybe a bonus episode where you said you were one of the tallest kids in your class. And I used to be, I have been this height since I was like 10 year, 10 or 12 years old, just stopped there. So I used to be a tall kid. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. No one remembers. Five foot four for the rest of my life, I guess. When I was going four back ish. to your... Yeah. <laughs> it's ambitious. I'm going back to talking about the sacred sweatpants. I <laughs> When I was in college, I... No, I guess I was like right after college between uh, undergrad and grad school. I took all my band t-shirts and I cut them up in hopes of like making a quilt out of them so somewhere in my parents house is just a like a pile of fabric of like 15 or 20 destroyed band t-shirts that um will never be made into a quilt yeah I've kept a lot of shirts for that reason too I think that was like hit our demographic at the right time that you could do that well you can you can I don't know the name of the service but you can send in t-shirts to a place and have them make a quilt for you which I think is so cool I wish we could Mm -hmm. plug one of them right now because yeah. Well, maybe I'll use Google. one. Maybe I should go through my sentimental clothes box and, you know. Yeah, I, I have know. something like that, but it's mostly t-shirts from like Outback. Outback <laughs> They're all Outback t-shirts. <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh, I think we should have also mentioned in our intro that we are, and we'll certainly address in her intro, but we are deviating a little bit today and not talking to a healthcare worker themselves when we are talking to somebody who works with health healthcare workers and I'm interested to and excited to also have this deviation and start for start interviewing people that are yeah you know, not in get that ready group I know I'm so excited oh. um, do you have any homekeping homekeeping house yeah my floors are a little dust just a little dusty a little it's dusty. more it's more just like a it's more just like an update on what movie I was almost in it's called okay. uh, Don Two. Or Don colon, The King is Back. Um, it is not technically a Bollywood movie. It's an Indian action mm. film. Um, and the entire thing is on YouTube. Wait, can and, you you can see my, and you can see my stand partner's face at about like 35 minutes. Not that I watched it to find her, but... Um, she told you. No, can you, can I mean, I did. That was sarcastic. Oh, too shy. Can you... Uh, give that context again one more time maybe Uh, people didn't listen to episode five yes so when I studied abroad I was in a community orchestra um called the Akademische Orchestra Berlin AOB my German is terrible now and um they (laughs) a production company approached the orchestra to need people for it was actually a I thought it was a string quartet but it was more of a smaller ensemble now that I saw that part of the movie that they were in um and I like stayed late one time they took pictures of us and they you know they were going to call people but I never got picked because I looked very young and also was only there on a student visa so I couldn't technically work uh so I didn't get to do it but so yeah that's that's my housekeeping should we talk about should we talk about Britney Spears (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm very sad. I'm very sad too. Um, I listened to her full 
testimony, the 23 minute long portion of her talking and what a what a cool woman she has turned into despite all of this like some of the things she was saying were so were really just hitting home like at one point she said I don't want to see a therapist and a psychiatrist I don't even believe in therapy I believe you take it to God but then later she was like but I think at this point I really do need therapy <laughs> which like what a what a insightful just like she's like so unabolog- unapologetically herself thank God um yeah Brittany, we hear you and we see you and we love you at this point in our adult lives. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I've ever stopped loving you since I bought your album. Hmm. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, join us after the break for our history lesson. Maybe. Can you, can you hear snoring? No, no. Because no, it is like here. a like some sort of troll is outside the door it's so loud and i'm not kidding like it's like someone's like grumbling into an empty trash can like that's how loud it is <laughs> wish you could hear it but i'm I think glad you should you can. keep this in the episode also because that was a very funny way to describe your- <laughs> i'll keep it your dog. all right now we're actually saying uh bye for the history <laughs> lesson okay bye And now it's time for our history lesson. The history lesson is compiled facts in the form of a narrative describing history, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our interviewee works in. All right, our sources for today, oneswriter.media.com, our old favorite, wikipedia.org, investopedia.com, moz or moz.com, an article entitled History and Evolution of Copywriting by Sabrina Muzamil, mailchimp.com, an article entitled Website Copying for Therapists and Wellness Businesses by Juliet Austin, our guest Ali Lynn, as well as history.com. No trigger warnings for today, which I love saying. First, we're <laughs> going to start with some key terms. First off, obviously, the most important definition we will need for today is copywriting. It is the act or occupation of writing text for the purpose of advertising and other forms of marketing. The product, called copy or sales copy, is written content that aims to increase brand awareness and ultimately persuade a person or group to take a particular action. Copywriters help create billboards, brochures, catalogs, jingle lyrics, Gilligan's Island title (laughs) cards, magazine and newspaper advertisements, sales letters and other direct mail, scripts for television, radio commercials, taglines, white pages, social media posts, and other marketing communications. Modern copywriting can also include website copy, blogs, newsletters, emails, and online profiles. The definition of brand, a business or marketing concept that helps people identify a particular company, product, or individual. Brands are intangible, which means you can't actually touch or see them. They shape people's perceptions of companies, their products, or individuals, and also their values. Hmm. Um, Brand awareness is a degree of consumer recognition of a product by its name. This may include the qualities that distinguish the product from its competition in the case of therapists and other professionals. 
the product is the service itself and the brand is the business um, or excuse me the product is the service itself and the brand is their business slash practice freelance that includes working for different companies at different times rather than being permanently employed by one company which sounds wonderful you work yes. for yourself and aren't an employee freedom to work from anywhere at any time mm -hmm. seo which joanne and i have discovered quite a learning curve for in the past six months and i it still don't understand engine. completely <laughs> i'm sure we'll learn today yeah <laughs> it is search engine optimization it gets you ranked in google searches essentially it is a practice of increasing the quantity the quality and the traffic of your website through organic search engine results um, which is essentially any traffic that comes without paid advertisements which sign me up i love it mm -hmm. and finally content writing which is any content where the primary purpose is to inform, entertain, or educate readers about topics they care about. So Sarah, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about the history of copywriting, are you ready? I'm really excited for you to talk to me about the history okay. of copywriting. <laughs> Uh, so the history of copywriting dates back to when the first printed papers were distributed on the street. Advertising copywriting has existed since Babylonian times, which is way, way, way in the past. And the first printed material is said to have come into the world in 1477, promoting the sale of a prayer book. Hmm. Yeah. The job of a copywriter began by creating ads on a large poster made of paper with a feather, dip with a feather dipped in ink where, the where they then were fixed to walls and poles in the bigger cities of Europe. Centuries ago, there were no printing processes to make duplicates, so each page was handcrafted. Which sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like you shouldn't have even been doing it. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like when like, I was making sounds those Sounds like you posters. should have had a courier in the street just screaming things <laughs> with a bell. Yeah. <laughs> Hear ye. I mean, which they did, right? Um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Maybe that person got tired. <laughs> Goldsmith and inventor Johannes Gutenberg was a political exile from Mainz, Germany, where he began experimenting with printing in Strasbourg, France in 1440. He returned to Mainz several years later and by 1450 had a printing machine perfected and ready to use commercially, which was called the Gutenberg Press. Once mass printing processes were perfected, around 1605 newspapers could be mass produced and hawked on street corners. I like hawking here. Uh, the first English paper was produced in 1665 called the Oxford Gazette, which is now known as the London Gazette. It was when the larger format newspapers were published that advertisements began to appear on one full page or several ads were dispersed throughout the pages. So, so keep in mind that since this is the oldest, it's like essentially England or the UK's oldest newspaper, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, millions of people that are listening, but... There was not a lot of competition so you are you are taking a whole page out of this newspaper which i'm assuming that, i mean the, the pricing had to have been high so certain businesses could only afford it yeah and then folks were just like flocking to you because there weren't a lot of other competing papers there weren't a lot of other there wasn't a lot of competition in general there was just like one or two dudes and maybe a lady who was of high society being able to do something and they were receiving all the business so you'd you'd just have an ad so people knew you existed yeah. Which is so, so different than what we know now. It has been suggested that the first person to work as an official independent copywriter was John Emery Powers. He lived from 1837 to 1919 and was the first person to copyright full time. Instead of working for a newspaper, he worked for the popular department stores of Lord and & Taylor and Wanamakers. Are those still... I know Wanamakers isn't still around. Is Lord & Taylor still around? 
Lauren Taylor is around. Okay. Um, I don't know if Wanamaker stores are, but we do have the Wanamaker building in Philly. Yes, which is a really is. cool building. They also yeah. have a an organ in there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the one of the biggest organs that's still operational in the United States. Yeah, uh, the, the light show is the, the old, like it's from the 60s, I believe. So it's a very historical building. And I think it's like a Macy's now. Again, it is a Macy's now. It's, a, it's nice. a pretty nice Macy's. I've been in there a couple of times. Absolutely. And sometimes the organ will start playing because someone is playing it. And that's, and it's really cool if you can get, I think they do have specific times where somebody comes and plays it, but mm-hmm. if you ever get the chance to, it is, it's really cool. Well, I think that people like seek that organ out, like professional organists. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like on their bucket list of organs. Yeah. Uh, so Lord and Taylor and Wanamakers, these stores recognize the importance of creating excellent ads that would stand out in newspapers and magazines. Uh, Powers created six ads a week. He is deemed, quote, the father of modern creative advertising by some of the most controversial ads of the era. Powers refused to appeal to emotions in his writing, relying on facts. He also would not write copy for a product unless he was convinced of its merits. He once stated that the most important thing in advertising is getting the attention of the reader by being interesting. And the next most important thing is to stick to the truth. All right. Let me tell you a little more about John Emery Powers. Oh, I'm excited. His approach was so, tell me. so much common sense and he did not want to appeal psychologically, which itself is an appeal psychologically, <laughs> which we will learn. And I will be using an old timey voice, so get ready. Once while working at Wanamaker's, he was told that a department needed to get rid of, quote, the rotten gossamers, which I looked up a gossamer is a type of fabric. So it's essentially like saying, get these, get these gross pants out of here. <laughs> or like Bring in the silken, the silken <laughs> sweatpants with pockets and zippers. Yes, yes. No pockets for women. We are, we are classy. Okay. He wrote an advertisement that contained the following sentence. We have a lot of rotten gossamers and things we want to get rid of. <laughs> On that day, the ad appeared. The customers bought the entire gossamer surplus by noon. Whoa. So within three or four hours, all of these, I guess like like a gossamer is like one gossamer. <laughs> so it's like saying all these cottons. <laughs> I feel like I should own a gossamer. I, don't know. I, I, <laughs> I most likely do. Oh my goodness. Own our own gossamer. <laughs> so, so he said this and then the next day the ad, uh, everyone came and bought all the gossamers, all the round gossamers. Um, Another another piece of copy promoting neckties read, they're not as good as they look, but they're good enough. 25 cents. <laughs> <laughs> when he was hired by a near bankrupt Pittsburgh-based clothing company, he recommended to the client to be honest with potential customers. The ad featured the following words. We are bankrupt. This announcement will bring our creditors down on our necks. But if you come and buy tomorrow, we shall have the money to meet them. And if not, we will go to the wall. Whoa. Okay. Like, like the mean, wall, like in the handmaid's like in handmaid's tale. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, I hope not. Yeah. Oh, what a bummer. Okay. The ad resulted in an immediate surge in sales, and the struggling company was saved from bankruptcy. Which is, I mean, that makes me like, I don't know. That makes me tear up a little bit because that's community supporting supporting yeah. community. But uh, all right. <laughs> oh, and also during this time when he was working for winemakers, their revenue doubled. Whoa. Doubled. Cover those gossamers. Um, since then, some copywriters have become well-known within the industry because they founded major advertising agencies and others because of their lifetime body of work. 
Many creative artists uh, worked as copywriters before becoming famous, famous in their own fields. Now there was a whole list of folks here, so I just picked out some of the more memorable ones. Um, this included F. Scott Fitzgerald, Terry Gilliam, Hugh Hefner, okay. Rick Moranis, which is my favorite, yeah. Yeah. favorite part, Bob Newhart, Kurt Vonnegut, and Frank Zappa. Wow. I know. David Ogilvy, born in 1911, passing away in 1999, is known as, quote, the father of advertising. He's also remembered for his famous quote dedicated to Rolls-Royce cars, as he said, quote, at 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise in this new Rolls-Royce comes from the electric clock. Wow. He was the founder of Leo Burnett Worldwide and remembered mostly for the Marble Man, the Marlboro Man, which ran from 1954 to 1999, wow. which is when he died. Wow. I'm realizing that there may be a connection there. Hmm. Hmm. This was Maybe. one of the most successful advertising campaigns ever. Images of the Marlboro Man initially featured rugged men, rugged men portrayed in a variety of roles, but later primarily featured a rugged cowboy or cowboys in, picture, uh, in picturesque wild terrain. The advertisements were originally conceived as a way to popularize filtered cigarettes, which at the time were considered feminine. Wow. <sighs> All right. No comment. One of the most prominent and influential copywriters in the past century was Robert Collier, uh, 1885 to 1950. He started the direct mail pheno phenomenon in the 1930s, utilizing emotional connection and psychological techniques. Direct mail advertising was the use of physical correspondence you send to customers in the hopes of getting them to patronize your business. So essentially, I, one example of this that's given is you send everyone a postcard that says, hey, we've been waiting for you. And then people have to, people like, <laughs> they really think they're being waited for. I mean, at this point, we're so desensitized by uh, certain certain advertisements that we know what they are, but people responded in, in floods. I mean, Some people do that now with the emails, like, hey, yeah. question about a consultation. Like, no. Your uh, warranty yeah. is expiring. <laughs> The IRS okay. is coming at your door right now. Oh, yikes. Well, that's right. a whole other thing. Anyway. Some of the most famous ad campaigns, uh, Nike's Just Do It campaign, which started in 1988, wow. skyrocketed Nike's sales from $88 million to more than $9.2 billion in just 10 years. And from what I remember, there were, they hired an artist to draw the swoosh. Oh, wow. And then uh, stole it from her. And then she sued Nike. And I guess okay. I guess that was before they had $9.2 billion. Mm. Uh, the next one is California's Milk Processor Board's famous Got Milk campaign from 1993. It increased milk sales in California and has spawned a lot of parodies since its launch. Obviously, we've seen Got question mark for basically anything um, <laughs> yeah. that has ever been needed. And then finally, Apple's quote, get a Mac in 2006. The Mac versus PC campaign generated 42% of market share growth in its first year alone, which I remember those commercials with Justin Long. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd come in and he'd be talking to like a lesser attractive male that was like, I like think balding, John Hodgman. like very mean and get a Mac. Yeah. Thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about modern copywriting. Uh, despite how much time, skill, and effort goes into it, copywriting is almost instantly obsolete. With real-time feedback and digital analytics, copywriters and content marketers have instantaneous feedback and tell whether the copy is working. Copywriters must be faster and create something that gets results within a 24 to 48 hour cycle. Oh. 
Today's modern copywriter does more than simply write copy for newspaper or magazine ads. With e-commerce growing at a rate of at least 17% per year and a content marketing and content marketing becoming a universal marketing tactic employed by 90% of businesses worldwide, a copywriter now has to be proficient in writing for the web with a sound knowledge of the best SEO, which is search engine optimization practices. Copywriters may also write copy for book jackets, food and product packaging, name floral bouquets, write about technology trends in healthcare, write metadata description for sunglasses, write media releases about musicians and authors, and much more. Joanna, sorry to interrupt. Did you ever see that movie, Her? Uh, I saw like 45 minutes of it. Was it the first 45 minutes? Yeah, it was the first 45 So, So he worked at a greeting card company where they would write... Like they'd get an email like, hey, I need a Mother's Day card for my mom. We enjoy uh, cooking together. So they'd have like Chris Pratt was in it and he would they would like write these greeting cards. So that I mean, obviously, that's like set in the future. Yeah. But that made me think of this portion. Hmm. A copywriter is also responsible for helping websites achieve good SEO rankings, which involves strategic placement of common keywords that consumers are likely to be searching for. This is all done while content this is all done while the content must flow easily and be readable. The copywriter's focus has undeniably shifted considerably from print to internet over the past decade with one constant. Copywriting will continue to be one of the best ways to promote businesses, organizations, services and products and is truly an art form that every marketing strategy can reap benefits from. Moving on to mental health copywriting, Uh, Many do not know that copywriting is not the same as content writing, including therapists and wellness business owners. The goal of content writing is to have therapy or wellness website visitors stay on your website for longer and engage with you. The aim is to build a relationship with them so that they keep coming back for more. And the goal is to warm them up so that they, quote, buy from you eventually. I, I love that this is so different than everything we've read about thus far like this is this is saying to the person like if you want this specifically I, I have it you yeah know, I'm not being I'm being upfront about what I have and I'm I'm like I'm writing it in a way that catches your eye but I also have what you want and I I mean it's honest it's open it's it's so cool I like that yeah content can come in many forms blog posts articles social media posts infographics slide presentations the words used in audio or video content etc copywriting can contain content writing but it goes further its purpose is to promote what you are offering it may be something you give away for free or something you charge for such as a service program or product the primary purpose of copywriting is to get people to take action Copywriters use a conversational tone and write short, simple sentences and paragraphs. They use simple and clear language, bold some sentences, use capital letters sometimes, and do other quirky things. The structure of copy that inspires people to take action takes the reader on a journey. It tells a story that eventually asks the reader to do something, sign up for a free offer, or to make a purchase. Compelling copy outlines both the struggles of your audience and the benefits they want. It engages the emotions of your readers, answers potential objections, and offers proof that you can deliver results. There's a there's an ad that comes up on my Facebook about my favorite yarn, and their copy is really good. It's like, we're selling out. This isn't an ad, but you know, we we need you to buy our yarn. It's like, okay, if you need me to do it, I'll do it. You do, you need me. Yeah. Come get my I already forget the name of that fabric. 
<laughs> my gossamers. Go get my gossamers. These gossamers are your favorite gossamers, Joanna. Don't you know? Oh, like, yes, are. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> copywriting is not about manipulating or tricking potential clients or customers into buying something they don't want or need. Some therapists and wellness businesses object to copywriting because they believe it sounds, quote, salesy. They see copywriting as trying to make people buy something. This is a faulty view of ethical and authentic copywriting. Nice. Oh, I'm so excited to hear more. Yeah, I have so many questions for Allie and I'm so excited to talk to her uh, right after this break. Here we go. All right. Allie Lynn is a former dance movement therapist who now works as a copywriter for mental health professionals. When she was practicing therapy, she worked mostly in inpatient psychiatric hospitals. That environment burned her out so much to the point that her physical and mental health suffered, and the only work she did for nearly two years was walking dogs part-time. In March 2020, at the very beginning of the pandemic, she started a copywriting business and feels like she finally found her calling. She loves working with therapists and staying connected to the field of therapy, helping to destigmatize mental health. Yes, through her writing. When not working, she can be found going on adventures with her husband, cuddling with her terrier, and practicing yoga. Welcome, Allie Lynn. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are so excited to hear everything about your field and learn. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about what you do. You know. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> Generally, what do you do? What do I do? So I, so as you guys have talked about, I'm a copywriter um, mm-hmm. for mental health professionals. Um, so mostly I write for therapists and psychologists, ranging from creative arts therapists to trauma therapists. Um, I've got an LGBTQ specific therapist right now who I'm super excited about. Um, people who work with young adults, kind of the gamut. Um, and I, I mostly write like webs, websites is what I write the most of, um, blogs. I write a lot of psychology today profiles, a lot. Um, and, uh, newsletters and emails are things I write sometimes. Um, so I really help therapists market themselves using the SEO optimized copy that gets them found in Google searches. Right. That is, I love hearing too that. I mean, it seems you're excited too, like working with like more mar- like therapists from marginalized communities. And now that there is now that folks know that those therapists are an option for them, it's so cool. It's so cool that they're getting the ability to market themselves in a way that gets these folks in. That is that is so needed and so necessary. Yeah, um, like the, the LGBTQ uh, psychologist specifically came to me because he wanted to rebrand himself as yeah. that. And so that's what we're doing. And he's in Northern Ireland. So oh, wow. it's very conservative there. Like yes. not a lot of help for people who have come out. So it's been really great. Like you said, working with like people who specifically work with marginalized um, populations. So yeah, it's been really rewarding in that sense. Oh my gosh, that's... Yeah, we both like had a had a surprise shock to Northern Ireland too. I mean, that's yeah, it's so cool that you have reached there. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, how did you get into your field? So, um, like you guys were saying, I used to be a therapist and got super burned out. Um, so it really affected my mental and physical health. And I around that time met um, a freelancer, a freelance writer, um, who told me what that was. And then I learned what copywriting was. And I just decided 
you know, maybe I could combine my background of mental health with writing, which I love doing, and write for mental health professionals. So kind of all like fell into my lap and then kind of came together slowly. That's amazing. I, I think Joanne and I can both agree that we keep encountering professionals that do not understand a lot of the intention behind what therapists want and like what motivates them. And I mean, just essentially, if I may, just not wanting to be yucky. And the fact that you're coming from that, from that angle is like, what a wealth of knowledge. Sorry, I'll calm down. <laughs> I'm, no, it's... So, I'm so excited this is available for people. Yeah. And that's, that's a really big selling point for me to other therapists is that I was mm -hmm. one, right? So a lot of my clients or almost all of my clients love that about me and that has drawn more people to me because of that so yeah that's great this is a question that's deviating a little bit from our prepared question so I'm just saying that to prepare you <laughs> during the history lesson we talked a little bit about brands and I found like personally when I was starting my private practice that it was very difficult for me to think of myself as a brand how do you approach that with therapists? It's a really good question. Um, I think that you have, you do have to think of yourself as a brand because you are, and you are basically selling a service, right? You are, your mental health service, your therapy services, whatever you offer, your brand is important. So whether you are just going by your name or whether you've decided I'm going to use the guy in Northern Ireland again, he is the LGBTQ psychologist. That is his brand now. So that identifies who he is right away. And you know who he works with, what he does, like right off the bat. Um, so it's important to know your, your brand essentially as far as like what it is you do. And really it goes into knowing your ideal client, right? So I think that's the biggest takeaway from knowing your brand is like, who do you work with? Because if you work with everybody, that's great. But like, if you're speaking to everybody, you're speaking to no one. Yeah. Yeah. It's what a profound quote. That's, I, and that's like something that a lot of therapists going into private practice have a hard time with is finding their niche. Yeah, too. totally. And I think that that's, very fresh on our minds as well. I'm sure. I mean, I know when I speak to a lot, especially going into private practice newly, they just want clients. You just want to, you know, get people in the door and it's like, oh, well, I like working with this and I like working with this and I can work with women and I can work, you know, and it's like, it, the more you niche down, you're not, you're not, you're actually drawing more people to you. And that's what, that's, what's hard when you're writing copy for therapists who want to speak to everybody is that you can't. Yeah. <laughs> so I find that oftentimes when I work with uh, therapists who are kind of like not sure who, what their brand is and who they speak with, um, our conversations help them kind of narrow it down a little bit. And I've had people come to me and say, you know what, I'm totally just going to be a trauma therapist now. Cause that's what I, or, or whatever, you know? So it's really interesting how just speaking to someone who does marketing and branding can, can help you figure that out. Yeah. What do you enjoy most about what you do? And is there anything that you would change? Yeah. So, I mean, I love staying connected to the world of therapy. I think that's the biggest thing is that I still, you know, get to use my degree <laughs> that I spent so much time and money on. Um, 
I also really love my husband travels for work a lot and I love being location independent. You know, as a freelancer, I can work whenever and wherever. So that's what I love a lot. Um, and I make my own schedule, which is really nice. Um, if I could change anything, it would probably be just that, you know, writing is very lonely <laughs> and you're just in your little office, which is my guest room also in my house writing by myself every day. So if I could have coworkers or go to a co-working space, which right now and during the pandemic is not really an option, most of them have closed down. Um, but yeah, I, so that's the one thing I would, I would change is having, me having like a co-working space where I could see people and feel like I have coworkers. Yeah, what, what a good point. I, and Ali, I remember in my time working inpatient, I was like, this is my coworkers, the only reason I can like survive this. And I was able to like only work in like certain locations for a short period of time, like thankfully, but that's, uh, Joan, I don't know about you, but that's how I survived working uh, like acute oh, yeah. care was yeah. community with coworkers. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, that's so, I think we, despite the trauma that we can incur working in some places like that, that's the big thing we miss is just having dozens of people around you whether you're very happy about it at all times or not <laughs> yeah yeah um tell us one thing about your field that might surprise our listeners and us so writing a good website or blog is more than just writing words on a page you can slap some stuff up and it'll be fine but you mentioned seo search engine optimization and that is the key to get you found in google and that's the goal so there's a lot that goes into SEO. Um, it is keywords um, that people are searching for. It's also a lot of backend stuff um, that you wouldn't think about, um, like a meta description, which is the thing that, so when you Google something and there's like the title tag. So like if you Googled me and it's a like Ali Lynn mental health copywriter, underneath it would be a couple of lines of text that use all my keywords to describe what I do. So it's another way that Google recognizes you. So there's just a little, little things like that that pepper throughout the website that um, really go into making your website and your blogs SEO optimized. Awesome. Uh, along that same vein, what are some misconceptions in your field? Um, yeah, so I think you also touched on this that copywriting has to be salesy. Um, and you know, for therapists, it can look a lot like content writing sometimes um, because there is a lot of information you're giving. So it can, it can blur the lines a little bit sometimes, but at the end of the day, copywriting always has a CTA, a call to action. Um, so you're always trying to get someone to sign up for that email list, book a call, sign up for your services, you know, come in for a consultation. And then also, like I mentioned before, it's just, I think people think like just putting words up on a page is gonna be enough. And it's, it's not. No. Yeah, absolutely. How is your work affected by the COVID-19 pandemic for better or for worse? I mean, I know your, your company was started literally <laughs> during the first so, month that we were experiencing it. So my first day of sending out <laughs> cold emails was the day that shelter in place happened. Oh my no gosh. Joke. <laughs> I think it was March 13th, I, I, I think. Oh and literally I was like, Okay, so the first year, pretty much the fir first 10, 11 months 
of my business was very, very slow. It took a long time to, I mean, I was discounting things just to get people in the door. Like we were talking about when you started private practice and you're just getting people in the door. Mm-hmm. I was doing whatever I could just to get clients. Um, and there were some months where I made no money. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really, it was really, really hard. Um, but I think what happened was in February, it started picking up. And I think a couple things happened. One, I started you know, I was much more visible. My SEO had grown my business. So people were finding me, but also people's um, private practices were starting to grow because more people needed mental health services and were coming out for mental health services after, you know, during this pandemic, people were starting mm-hmm. to seek out therapy more. So I think people started realizing like, oh, I'm getting more clients or I need more clients because other people are getting more clients. How do I get that? So people started coming out of the woodwork, you know, after about a year. Did you find that a lot, there were a lot more therapists going into private practice, like coming from a, you know, either a community mental health or, you know, a a for-profit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a lot of clients who I'm building their website from scratch because they're starting because there's, you know, they, it, just like you said, they've been in community or they've been working in a group practice somewhere or someone else's private practice and they wanted to go off on their own. Yeah. yeah. Allie, I wonder if you noticed the trend. I mean, during most of the pandemic, and I don't know about nationally, but Pennsylvania insurances were paying copays and, you know, just forgiving them for most clients. So I wonder. I wonder if um, I wonder if there was a strange transition like a couple months ago when insurance companies stopped doing that. Like if therapists noticed extra issues or anything like that that you can speak to. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, but that's a really good point. That like about the insurance. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm still getting a lot of inquiries from people who are starting practices or building their practices. So, yeah, fantastic. Right, How do you feel like your personality is represented in the work that you do? So I think it's mostly represented in the way I interact with my clients um, because I'm so used to, like, I know how to connect with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, I'm really good at talking to people. Um, I'm genuinely interested in them. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you want, you want your therapist clients to feel seen and heard just like you as therapists want your clients to feel seen and heard. So I think I take that with me into when I speak to a new person or someone I'm working with, because it's a very vulnerable process for them, you know, and a lot of them, like when they write their about pages and they're, they're talking about themselves, you're talking about your practice. That's very vulnerable to put that out there. So to have someone who's really listening to you and to carry that, you know, uh, skill that I have from being a therapist, I think really makes a difference. That's really neat. I, I yeah. didn't even think about that so kind cool. of intimacy that you have to kind of cultivate for them to be able to realize exactly what it is they, who they want to treat, yeah, how they want to advertise. That's, oh, I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like when I, I'm just thinking to the time when I, you know, like wrote down, you know, wrote down all my, like I had to go through my values. Like what do I value as a human being mm-hmm. to then like bring that into my, and it it's, it's a very intense process and it's, and it is a very vulnerable process. Yeah. And, you know, I, so I'll use another example. I have a client who um, works with people, survivors of narcissistic abusive relationships, mm-hmm. and she is a survivor herself. And so just 
putting out there any piece of that was so scary for her. Mm. And it took her, I remember I sent her the copy and it took her like two weeks to get back to me with edits because she said, I'm just trying to digest this. Like, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around, like it's well-written, thank you. But I just, you know, there's so much of me in here. So, yeah. And and Joanna, you mentioned values. Like I actually, when I start working with someone, I give them a questionnaire and like, what are your values? How, what words describe you? How would your clients describe you? What do you offer? Like, those are the kinds of questions I get from clients that really make you think about that. So it's good that you're thinking about that too. (laughs) And it's honestly something I give to client, my, my own like therapy clients a lot. If they're kind of unsure of where they're going next, like let's, let's find out what's like most important to you. And then we can use that to kind of frame and look at all these kind of decisions that you have to make. So it's essential. That gives them a nice reminder that you, that they have power in the dynamic as well. I like that. I like reminding folks that they like, Hey, this is a service you're paying for. You know, I'm not just here to, to be like idealized or like whatever happens in a dynamic. That's like a nice grounding and empowering thing for the clients too. It's just another transferable skill that you can use. Yeah, totally. And also I do a shared um, editing process with clients. They get two rounds of edits. So they also have a a say in what the copy is too, which I think gives them agency, obviously, and also allows them to interject their words if I didn't get them right. But (laughs) yeah, (laughs) because I'm not a mind reader. So (laughs) join the club. (laughs) Actually, I am. So well, you're not invited. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. God damn it. (laughs) Gotcha. Become predictable. Um, What do you, (laughs) Allie, what do you feel are the major differences between copywriting for therapists and copywriting for companies like as a freelancer? Yeah. So you guys mentioned e-commerce before, which is selling products, right? For therapists, you're selling your services. Um, So, you know, you need to reflect the person that the therapist is when you're doing the writing for them. Um, So it's less about getting people to buy things and more about helping people understand how you can help them and get your personality across. Because when you're writing for like a company, it's about selling, selling, selling. And it's not necessarily always about what they value or who they are. Sometimes it is, but for therapists, it's all about who you are and how you can help. So that's the biggest difference I think for me. Ali, how has your identity, including gender, sexuality, ethnicity, helped or hindered your work? Yeah, so really early on, um, I was contacted by a, so I'm a a white, uh, cisgendered, um, cis heterosexual uh, woman, and I was contacted by a Black female uh, dance women therapist who works with Black women with depression, very specifically. And she took a chance on me. She wanted me to write a blog about racial trauma in the body. And apparently I missed the mark um, in a way that was so much so that she couldn't even give me feedback because it was too wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it made me feel like, well, can I only work with people who look like me and who are my age and, and who are my gender? Like, And so it was really hard in the beginning to feel like I could help someone who was from a different race or ethnicity or background. Um, I think that's changed for me now. Um, 
you know, now I'm a lot more culturally aware and I have a lot of clients in the UK. Um, I work with people in Ireland. I work with people in Scotland. Um, I have people in Canada, um, uh, England. And so I'm always asking questions about their different cultures. Um, so like when I mentioned the LGBTQ psychologist in Northern Ireland, like I really wanted to know what is the culture in Northern Ireland around, you know, the LGBTQ community. Um, and we had a whole conversation just about that. So it wasn't even just about the copywriting. It was just about like, what is your culture in relation to what you do? So I think, I think that experience just helped inform me. Uh, but it was, it was hard. It was hard to, to go through that and feel like I did something wrong. Yeah. Ali, thank you for answering that. Honestly, I, I, I think it's, I mean, as white individuals, sometimes it can be hard to recognize like when, when our, like when and where our learning curve is and it's being able to recognizing it and being able to grow from it and not, you know, cross our arms and say, well, I'm not going to do this then. It's like such a good response, you know, for you individually as a person and also just, I mean, for your business too, that's, there's a lot of gain there and that's so great that you're able to recognize that. That's yeah. Thanks. Really cool. Yeah. It was hard, but it, sure. You know, yeah. How do people usually respond when you tell them what you do for a living? Most of them don't know what copywriting means. A lot of people think of copyright, uh, like, you know, a little C uh. in the bottom of something. So, so when I tell, when I start talking about my business, they're like, I don't understand. Um, so I, I always, it's so funny. Cause like when I was a dance movement therapist, no one knew what I did either. So I'm used to explaining, <laughs> I'm used to explaining what I do as I'm sure you guys understand. Uh -huh. um, but also I either get a blank stare and the conversation moves on or people actually are interested and want to learn more. So it, it's kind of 50, 50. Do people ever say, Oh, like Mad Men? I was <laughs> Once and I've never what? seen Mad Men. So oh. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's not it doesn't sound like it is yeah it's not and it, it is a nice intro into like what i guess 1960s copywriting looked like yeah. but it's also horribly <laughs> upsetting <laughs> as a show to watch yeah it's it's a very um yeah extreme view of like this is how terrible this was yeah china that's so funny i was going to ask that <laughs> um what sort of trends have you noticed in your field? We, we kind of talked about this a little bit about like a lot of therapists moving into private practice. Are there any other trends that you've noticed? Um, I think a lot of people are moving online to social media. That's been a big one. Um, a lot of therapists are on social media promoting their services, trying to get engagement up. Um, I think it's great. And I think it's also really hard um, as I'm sure you both know. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you do it yourself and, and I do it for me for, you know, for my business and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. But so that's the big one. I think it's just moving to social media, especially, especially like Instagram, which is kind of dying now. Right. So really? like, Ooh. I was just reading an article about how Instagram is like on its way out and it's like Whoa. TikTok and, Damn. and all the other things that I don't understand. Um, yeah. I definitely wrote a note. I wrote a note for myself once that said TikTok question mark. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, question answered. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is good to know. And that is also news. Ooh. I also, I, a, a, a couple of clients I work with use Instagram for their business and they have mentioned that algorithms have changed. Is that true? 
What does that yeah. mean? Should we yeah. be afraid? It is true. I don't know what it means. Um, <laughs> yes, we should be afraid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm convinced that Instagram and Facebook are listening to you at all times. They're here yeah. right now. Yep. So, yeah. Um, They're the only ones. Yeah. Everybody pay attention. <laughs> I, I like I like that we're all just kind of like embracing millennials slowly becoming mildly irrelevant. I'm I'm like fine with that. I'm <laughs> I'm welcoming some normalcy for our generation. <laughs> like Seriously. we are just not always up on it. But oh. um, what is your favorite marketing tool since we were talking about Instagram? SEO. Hands down. Oh. Um, it's the number one way to get noticed by Google and everyone Googles everything. So yeah. um, for, th- for therapists, I also recommend uh, Psychology Today profiles. I think that's a great marketing tool too, if it's well-written, because uh, there's a lot of bad ones out there and thank you next. People just, you know, yeah. move on. So yeah, those are, those are my two ones for therapists anyway. Um, SEO for everybody, but Psychology Today for therapists too. Okay. Um, I think we kind of touched on, on probably your answer to this question, but what's the first piece of advice that you offer to clients? Yeah. Figure out who your ideal client is and speak directly to them. Yeah. So hit their pain points right off the bat. So you know, you understand them and how you can help them. That's yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's just as important that you make them feel understood. Like they, you're telling, you're giving them this information and this tip, but you're also taking that time to just, to make them feel listened to and make them feel that they are paying for something that is really going to pay off and it's an investment. Right. Uh, That's a really good point. It's something I was going to touch on. It's just that copywriting is an investment, not an expense. And that's... Nice. I take that. I, I, I also, I think it, sorry, my thoughts about this are like weirdly forming in my head, but I think it's also important for therapists to reach the people they want to work with directly. So this might sound harsh, but that their clients aren't wasting their time and they're not wasting their time. And they're like using the best skills that they have to the best ability Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where we were talking before about like niching down. Right. And so, you know, if your clients, if potential clients think that you're not going to be able to help them, they're just going to move on. Right. So, you know, it's, it's better if, if you specialize with, you know, perinatal mood disorders and anxiety, um, don't try to target, you know, 20 something year old men (laughs) like yeah (laughs) figure out who you're figure out who you're talking to and talk to them so they know that you're the right person absolutely yeah you're saying so many things that sound like they should be obvious because they have so much clarity to them and i (laughs) just like it's really cool um that switching direction a little bit what is your work-life balance like so because I work for myself, mm-hmm. I have made a pretty good work-life balance. Um, things have gotten busier lately, which is really great, but um, I'm not a morning person. It takes me a long time to become a person in the morning. So mm-hmm. um, I don't start work before like 9.30, 10 o'clock. Um, I don't take meetings until 11. Uh, 
So generally speaking, unless they're in the UK, um, but um, yeah, so I also try not to work evenings and weekends. That's sometimes not possible. We all have to mm -hmm. do that sometimes, but um, I really try to, I'm working on like getting out and doing things more um, and not just staying in my copy cave. Yeah. It's also now more, uh, you're, you're more able to do that now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Rather than a year ago when there was like nothing else to do, but stare at my computer. Yeah. Yep. Oof. I like, I like that too. Like deviating from the normal, I, I didn't, I didn't want to say normal, but like the nine to five where like our culture kind of pushes on us that if we're not working within those parameters then we're not working, which is yeah. total nonsense. And you're still, you're still putting in the hours, but you're honoring how your body is different. And you're just, you take a, I had a client that called that booting up in the morning, <laughs> took her a long, which <laughs> yeah, I loved. And amazing. I obviously use I like all the that. time now. So, and if we take a long time to boot up, we take a long time to boot up. If we're, if we're answering emails till 9 PM and that's not, you know, getting in the way of our lives, I can answer an email at 9 PM. Good right. Lord. Yeah. Mm. And you know, I don't work 40 hours a week. I consider myself a full-time copywriter, but I probably work 25 to 30 hours a week sometimes that's great yeah, I think most people that work 40 hours a week are not working 40 hours a week and I am doing heavy quotes with my fingers <laughs> I mean, just because you're not in an office in a physical space I mean if we did 40 clinical hours a week and Allie if you were writing and creating things for 40 hours a week what right. how would that look well and you know if you think about it like if you work a nine-to-five you're working a 40 hour work week, but you're not, like you said, working every single minute of those 40 hours. You're talking, you're taking a lunch break, you're talking to coworkers, you're, you know, taking a break, you're doing whatever. You're not working, you know, you're not running groups or sessions for 40 hours. So when you're working at home and you don't have coworkers and you don't have places to go, like you gotta take, you just gotta take breaks and, and take time and I don't know. Completely so, agree. I love it. So we're, we're very smoothly transitioning into how do you practice self-care? Mm. Yeah. So, um, in the mornings I have my little routine. I sit with my dog on my lap with my coffee and, uh, listen to music. And then I usually try to do like half an hour of like pleasure reading. Um, and then after work, I take yoga pretty much every day. Um, I also just started this new, um, trampoline class which is amazing it is like zumba on a trampoline <gasps> and you oh just gosh. jump and dance for like 45 minutes it's so everybody fantastic. has an individual trampoline like, you know little individual oh, trampoline and then you sounds like, amazing it's that so really cool <laughs> so that's like my new favorite thing that is so cool i love like that. tapping into in like your your inner child yeah and getting you know i don't dance anymore um, I haven't danced in a couple of years. So mm -hmm. getting movement, having yoga and, and trampolining and, and even just walking and having movement in my life again, after not having it for a couple of years, is important. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. And I will be looking up classes like that near me. Tell us about a habit you have behind closed doors. So I realize that this is a weird question in those words. So for example, rewatching TV or movies multiple times, eating chocolate for breakfast, giving your pet an accent from one that's different from your own, like my cats have a Russian accent and a South London accent. It's like a rebranded guilty pleasure. Yeah. So I have a couple. Um, my Good. dog has a voice. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an accent per se, but it's a distinct voice. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he speaks. Um, I also just got into playing video games. So mm-hmm. that's my new, like, also after work thing is I'll video play. Video games. What, what are my games? It's on, it's yeah. on Mario. It's all okay. like Mario yeah, Party, good. Mario Kart, Mario Odyssey, Mario, Mario, Mario. I got a, I got a Nintendo Switch. So that's been my, like, oh. that was the first thing I bought with the, with like, when I made enough money to like buy something beyond paying bills. Yay. And I was like, I, it was exciting. So it's like, a remi- every time I play it, I'm like, I'm doing it. Yay. Um, and then also I rewatched the great British baking show, like <sighs> on loop, on loop. <laughs> I played Mario party with my nieces and nephews. Um, like for a, a family party a couple weeks ago and first of all they demolished me they are aged you know uh, six to t- 22 and they demolished me and and they were mean during it they, <laughs> they were just like dogging me it was it's very fun I was happy to obviously be there with them in person but I love video games so much I'm glad you brought that up and but I am I have no idea what I'm doing when holding that tiny controller no idea yeah it's, <laughs> it's me it's either like- I just play <laughs> Oh, great. Press A. I'm doing this motion, but it doesn't translate well to audio. Uh, audio. <laughs> is, these, is the jamming but- button motion. A- 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 yeah. Wait, I'm laughing because you're laughing, not because of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sarah, do you want to share some of ours? Oh, our behind closed doors. We haven't humiliated ourselves enough. Let me think. Yeah. I... <laughs> Okay, so you all know what shows I watch. Oh, since we're talking about Northern Ireland, I can confess that since I talked about Dairy Girls last time, I have watched it again. <laughs> it's only like 11 episodes, but oh, yeah. if anybody oh, wants gosh. to learn about Northern Ireland in the early 90s and just see how, you know, from the eyes of teen girls, which I think is a heavily judged group of people, it was very funny and... um yeah, I have mentioned in a previous episode that I watched that every two weeks. Did you know the cast of the Dairy Girls was on the Great British Baking Show? I did, what? <laughs> I did. I did hear that. Yeah, I watched it. I have it's not hilarious. watched the episode. Oh How my was God, it? it's so good. It's hilarious. Oh, all right. Well, I got to watch that now. I, yeah. I love that show so much. And they only have, like, their guests are only people from Northern Ireland. I believe they're actors and actresses. And they... Like, pe- like floods of people are requesting to be on that show, like from the UK and the director and the creator is just like, no, no, we're just, we're keeping this, we're keeping this small, but now I got to watch that episode. I'll put that on my list. Thank you, Ellie. You're <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I just started hopefully I didn't not hopefully, but like I'm, I'm starting a D and D campaign, like in person with oh. people I don't know, which I'm really excited about. Oh. very cool yeah oh i like that one yeah <laughs> uh what is <laughs> ali what is your favorite breakfast food okay so yogurt but very specifically madagascar vanilla and cinnamon yogurt Ooh. it's made by kobani and it is amazing and it's low sugar wait can you describe that one more time so i can write it <laughs> matt you ready madagascar yeah. Vanilla and cinnamon Kobani mm. yogurt. Okay. Okay. I mean, it sounds like the flavoring would be amazing. Any other yeah. reasons that you are drawn to that? Uh, my mom got me on it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was Fair staying enough. at her house and that's what we had for breakfast. So. 
That is amazing. What piece of advice can you offer to those interested in getting into copywriting? Be a forever student. Research, Mm. constantly continue education. Um, Learn as much as you can about SEO, for sure. If you are an SEO uh, copywriter, you will you will do well. Um, find courses that give you tools that you need. And uh, also a big one is don't compromise your pricing just to get clients. I know we all want to do that in the beginning. And like I said, I did it and it got me a couple people. Um, but you need to treat yourself like a business owner and not an employee. When you meet with a prospective client, it's not an interview. It's a discovery call to see, like to ask questions and to listen, but you're not being interviewed by them. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest one is just like, be a business owner, be a student and learn as much as you can all the time. Again, it's, we love that answer too. But again, it's about empowering folks because so many of these people are coming from private practices that exploited them or they're coming from, you know, other like, like Joanna said, like community mental health or from inpatient psych where they are just treated as kind of like, I mean, just someone that can be sent in to solve a problem. And you, you know, as a, as a therapist, you are, like you said, you're providing a service that someone needs. It's very humanizing. I have, I love that. Yeah. What is a resource that you think is important for everyone to know? So... If you want to get found in Google faster uh, and you are location uh, based, get on Google My Business. Um, If you don't know it, it's pretty easy. I'm not sure if it costs anything, actually. I don't know. But yeah, it's a good way. It's like when you search for something um, and then, you know, a map pops up with like, you know, different businesses and their websites and everything and their hours. Like that could be you if you if you go with Google My Business. Um, And then also, if you're trying to write your website or your blog yourself, because you can't afford a copywriter and you're trying to use keywords, um, install Keywords Everywhere Chrome extension. Joanna's nodding. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so interesting to look at when I'm not doing therapy stuff, just like, oh, this is what people search. (laughs) Yep. Also, Keyword Surfer is another um, extension that you can put in. Uh, I like that one a lot. So, and just like, again, if you're thinking about keywords, um, when you Google something, if you go down to the bottom of the Google search and you'll see like the, like people are searching for like recommended, consider those, like see what other people are looking for. Cause that'll give you other ideas. So if you're trying to do it yourself, that's what I would suggest. That is such a good idea. And you're just, you're, you're just looking at things that are in front of you, but you're telling them where to look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Before we get to our last question, would you like to plug your business and tell people where they could find you? Sure. So my official business is Allie Lynn Wrights, LLC. Um, you can find me on AllieLynnWrights.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Allie Lynn Wrights. Um, I have a Facebook page, Allie Lynn Wrights. <laughs> And I'm on LinkedIn as Allie Lynn. Um, so that's how you can find me. And that's wonderful. And as she said, she does work internationally. So folks, so cool. reach out. Yeah. Cool. All right. Any important info you'd like to share that our questions did not address? So I want to address 
any copywriters who might be listening and a therapist. So I'll just okay. speak to copywriters for a second. And I think this translates to therapists too, is that don't compare yourself to other freelancers or copywriters. You know, if you're just starting your business and you, you're in a network of other people who've been doing this for a while, like don't, you can't compare yourself to where they are and, and just look at them as, as an inspiration of where you want to be, not what you're not at that moment. I think it's really easy to, to do that um, and to fall into that. And, you know, it can take a little while for business to pick up. You know, you know that as, as starting your own private practices and, um, you know, when it comes specifically for, for writing, I've had to learn not to take edits and feedback personally. Um, and I think we can all, again, relate to that in our professional lives, whatever you do. Um, mm -hmm. And just for therapists, if you decide to hire a copywriter, just know that SEO can take a little while. So it can actually take like three to six months if you're starting from scratch. Um, so it doesn't happen right away. And that's something that I always try to tell people is like, if you don't see traffic in the first month or so, or you aren't finding yourself in Google, it's because Google hasn't found you yet. Um, so, uh, you know, an SEO copywriter will work for you kind of 24 seven in the SEO, just like Google. So you want to be clear with your copywriter, like who your target audience is. And like I said, if you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. All right. We have our final, which would you choose question? Are we ready? Everybody? Yes, definitely. Okay. Would you rather live in a tiny apartment in the center of a big city or live in a tiny log cabin in the center of a secluded forest? I don't know why they both have to be tiny, but log cabin in a forest yeah log cabin in a forest but like i'll also erase all true crime information from my head <laughs> <laughs> um but like a forest that's near a town somewhere sure maybe there's like a cutting highway yeah <laughs> like, like like there's a fire route <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've lived in tiny apartments in cities and like I'm done with that. So yeah. same. I guess log cabin. I watched um oh gosh, what was that show with the kid who had horns, Sweet Tooth? Um oh, yeah. on Netflix. Very cute. Love the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And um it starts off in a cabin in the woods. Cute. Yeah, it was very cute. Nice. All right. Excellent question. Excellent answers. We all gave the right answer, I think. <laughs> Of course. Um, Allie, thank you so much. Thank you thank so much for answering all these questions. What a pleasure it was to have you on. Thank you for having me. This was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, stick around for our Thera story after the break. Welcome back to the Thera story portion of our podcast. This is a funny or ridiculous story that is about therapy about a client in therapy or therapy adjacent if you would love your therapy story to be read by us on the air on the the podcast air um you can email us at therapists uh and at therapists next door at gmail.com with their story in the title uh i'll share their story today of one of my first days I was on the 38 bus which is as we all know my favorite womp bus womp. um no it's a good bus oh that's a good bus that's not the yeah. 40 
No, it's like the redact that comment. Okay. Um, and one of my many anxieties is that the bus won't stop where it's supposed to or follow the route. Never has happened to me, uh, but still worried about it. So I got off of this bus much earlier than I needed to to get to work, and it was my first day, and so that meant I had to walk quite a while, and I was wearing new shoes that I bought at the Wanamaker's in. the Macy's in the water makers and the for they were too small and they shredded the back of my feet um so like the whole day I just had to I felt like the little mermaid in the actual little mermaid story um oh God. if you don't know that you can look it up if you want um it, it was just very painful and uh yeah <laughs> Uh, mine's mine's pretty short. This is just about a, a former client. No, obviously not saying who this was, but oftentimes in session, I will just give a small hmm or hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. hmm. Nothing, you know, nothing, nothing overbearing. But the client told me that they had, they started to do something that was maybe unhealthy and they heard me in their head go, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I don't, I don't, I don't know. Those noises just happen. I don't, I'm not like, I'm going to make this affirming or judgmental noise. It just, (laughs) which I guess I have to regulate a little bit, but I am both happy and startled to know that clients uh, may sometimes hear my voice in their heads when they're making decisions for better or for worse. (laughs) Ali, do you have a therapy story that you'd like to share? I do. Yeah. So when I worked in an inpatient psychiatric hospital, um, I was on the geriatric unit and we would take um, the clients out. We had like a yard and we would go out at night and like they would get some fresh air and we would, you know, just hang around. And so I would hang out with mostly, mostly the men. um, And we were standing together to go inside. And there was this one guy who, um, you know, was very inappropriate and very like, very sexually objectifying all of the female therapists all the time. And so I was standing there talking to someone and he was looking me up and down and going, "Mm, ooh, yeah, and like all this stuff. And I turned to him and I was like, excuse me, you're making me uncomfortable, please don't do that. And he goes, I was just being an owl, who? Oh yep. man, smooth move <laughs> on, bo- on both your parts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's very funny. All right. Thank you for listening to the show. And a special thanks to our guest, Allie Lynn. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Stitcher and Spotify. You can check us out on Instagram at Therapist Next Door or on Twitter at Therapist ND Pod, all one word, or visit our website at tndpodcast.com. If you would like the ability to vote on what questions we ask our guests and so much more, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash tndpodcast. If you would like to submit your therapy story, which again is a funny or ridiculous story that you as a client had in therapy or a therapy adjacent story for us to read on the show, email it to therapistsnextdoor at gmail.com. Until next time. We, we are your, are your- Therapist therapists next, next door. door nice job <laughs> i just like cement my eyes <laughs> I, on I, you I to make you, you uncomfortable <laughs> success <sighs> <sighs> Woo-hoo.